Welcome back to Christian in the Afternoon. Tom Nash, contributing apologist at CatholicAnswersCatholic.com, filling in for Al today. Well, we know Advent is coming up this weekend. It begins with the Saturday Vigil Masses uh, that uh, begin the official liturgical celebration of Sunday, the beginning of Advent. Uh, and um, when we speak about Advent, we speak about how our Lord is foretold, among other things, we learn about how he's foretold as Messiah, that the incarnate word is foretold as Messiah in the Old Testament prophets. And joining us now is Dr. Lawrence Feingold. Of, he's the Associate Professor of Theology and Philosophy at Kenrick Glennon Seminary in St. Louis. Uh, among other uh, works, he's had his, his great work, The Eucharist, Mystery of Presence, Sacrifice, and Communion, and a three-part series on the mystery of Israel and the Church, and a number of other books. Uh, and Larry, thank you very much for coming to the program, uh, coming back on the program. And how would you say, how would you say, Larry, uh, this has impacted you, Dr. Feingold, your uh, study? Because you, you came back from a Jewish background, and, and to, to how did this study of the Old Testament prophets impact your journey? Okay, and um, thank you very much for having me. Um, I have to say, I wasn't, um, my dad was Jewish atheist, and I was raised as an atheist. So I didn't actually get the um, Old Testament faith until after my wife and I became Catholic. Gotcha. But then, um, gotcha. Uh, after, after our conversion, then I had a great hunger to, um, to, to get my Old Testament roots and, um, and the Jewish prophecies. Yes, so I'm, um, I think it's very, very important for Catholics to, put our, to know the prophecies, and to put ourselves in the mind of the Jewish people, which we do during this whole season of Advent, as um, we go through the prophecies longing and with them for the coming of the Messiah, knowing that he's come in the fullness of time. Talking to Dr. Feingold, uh, who is a professor at uh, Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, and we're talking about how the Old Testament prophets foretold the Messiah as incarnate word. Uh, which one, Which one stand out? among your favorites as far as how uh, our Lord is um, prophesied in? Yes, I guess I have too many favorites to answer this well. <laughs> but, right. um, uh, yeah, so there are too many. Um, oh. But I guess um, a key prophecy um, is the one given to David by the prophet Nathan. Okay. Um, so that's from the um, second book of Samuel, chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. So that's yes. a good place to start. Yeah, let's but talk. one could go back further, maybe. Let me, let oh. me situate that with um, our first prophecy, Genesis 3.15. Mm. That's certainly one of my favorites. The proto-evangelium, the huh? Yeah, the, evangelium. God didn't leave Adam and Eve without hope. And so he gave this first prophecy, actually speaking to Satan. It's Satan's punishment. Mm. Adam uh, got the sweat of the brow. Eve got um, giving birth with labor. And Satan's promise, pro- punishment is um, the woman, uh, enmity with the woman, whose seed will crush his head, yes. but he will crush his heel in the process. That's our first prophecy. And yeah. then we fast forward to um, Genesis 12, and a prophecy is given to Abraham, that he'll be the father of a great people, but in his descendants, all nations will be blessed. Yes. And so then it picks up from there, all right, Abraham has two, has more than one son, Ishmael and Isaac. But it's Isaac, born of Sarah, not Ishmael, from the handmaiden. And, and then Isaac has two sons, 
right? Isaac, Jacob and Esau, and it's Jacob, not Esau, and there's a whole story about the fight over the blessing. And Jacob, Jacob has 12 sons, and which one is it? And we know it's the fourth one from Genesis 49. That's Judah. And so the Messiah will be in the tribe of Judah. And then we have to fast forward centuries to King David and um, to get more specific. So in the big tribe of Judah, who will be the line? It's given to David. So let's start there. Yeah, and before, if and we it, might step back uh, just for a second, you, know, you mentioned Genesis 12, and I think of that being the acorn of salvation history where mm-hmm. uh, he's going to give the land and, and ultimately a, uh, a blessing to all his descendants. And then uh, with Genesis twenty two eighteen again, it's looking like a, a, a difficult time. And I mean, obviously it is. He's got to sacrifice his son, and yet he receives him back. And that is a forecast of, of our Lord who... Um, right. that that he will ultimately die for us. That's the reason he comes, you know, as I think it's uh, right. Fulton Sheen says so well, a, born to die, you know. <laughs> right. Truly so he it's came. A, it's a that. prophecy, in a figure or a type, both of his death, right, so the mm. sacrifice of Isaac, but he, he doesn't go through with it. And so in that sense, it also prefigures the resurrection. And Genesis 17 talks about how kings will come from the line mm-hmm. of, of Abraham. And then we see that, fulfilled with David and, and Solomon, then let's maybe we can pick up there because Christ is in that line of David and Judah and uh, that succession. So yeah. talk to us about Second Samuel 7. Okay. Yeah, and so it's a, it's a beautiful setting. David has just finished conquering his enemies, and he's taken the Ark of the Covenant, which had been captured by the Philistines and taken by them, but it broke their statues and caused plague, and so they, they put it into Israelite territory. And David brings it to Jerusalem, and he dances before the Ark of the Covenant. Yes. Um, and um, he, he's living in a, a cedar palace in Jerusalem, and the um, Ark of the Covenant is simply in the tent of a tent, tent mm-hmm. of meeting. And so he says to Nathan, um, let me make a house for the Lord. And Nathan says at first, yes, the Lord is with you. Go and do it. But then he sleeps on it, and the word of the Lord comes to him. And no, it won't be David. And so Nathan tells him this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body. I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Wow. And that's the key prophecy. Yeah, and it's fulfilled immediately. In in Solomon, right? One of David's right, sons. Right, but only in part, right? Because yeah, only in Solomon part. builds the temple, sure. but he doesn't rule forever. And in fact, he loses the ten northern tribes, not he, but in, in the time of his son. Sure. And so clearly, Solomon doesn't fully fulfill that prophecy. And nor, I mean, in some sense, yes, he's son of God, as all Israelites are, but not in the unique way of the prophecy. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. And so that's a unique kind of sonship in that prophecy. Yeah. So we think that's fully realized only in Jesus. Right? And people recognized after Solomon's time that this prophecy still um, was uh, needing to be fulfilled, that it hadn't been fully fulfilled in Solomon. And we see, too, that you mentioned that um, in terms of the kingdom will last forever, that David dies, Solomon dies. We yeah, see David uh, dies. Yeah, we line, see... Sure. Go ahead. I was going to say Babylonian exile. Yeah, and then Pentecost. We see on the day of Pentecost that that this whole thing that they're pointing at, you know, David's tomb is still with us, but Jesus has risen from the dead. So, right. pointing to his King of Kings. But I'm sorry, you were going to mention something about the Babylonian yeah, no. exile. Right. 
so that the line of David continued, but they stopped ruling at the Babylonian exile. In 587, 586 B.C.? Right, right in the 6th century, yeah, Yeah. B.C. And so um, what happened to Nathan's prophecy? Well, no merely human son of David could fulfill that prophecy to rule forever. Mm -hmm. You need, in fact, in that way it implicitly points to a resurrected king who lives forever, and Jesus, right, the king of the universe, and and so it's, there's such a beautiful, so many beautiful things about the prophecy. David wants to make a house for the Lord, but instead, God says, "No, I'm going to make a house for you," meaning a dynasty. But yes. even that's too little, right? One of that dynasty, one of his line, will rule forever. And Jesus, the King of the Universe. Yeah, I, I also it speaks of him. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, finish your point. Yeah, so it, it puts together the Messiah as King, but he also builds the temple. And so that's Jesus's body as the true temple. So that also is a reference there to sacrifice, right? The temple is the place of sacrifices. Jesus's body, right? It's the one perfect sacrifice, but the temple is also the place of the presence of the Lord. Mm. Right? And so Jesus's body being the perfect place of the presence, present now in the Eucharist in every tabernacle. Right? And so the perfect presence and, the Lord. and then the prophet Micah kind of in a forecast uh, that it says, you know, uh, Bethlehem, you are those small that right. you will have significance. And Bethlehem is where Jesus is born. And Bethlehem means house of bread. And of course, that points to the Eucharist and just some beautiful uh, scriptural tie ins. Right. And so that gives the place. And that, that was a small, a very a, a village, a small town. And so, again, a very specific prophecy. And it also speaks of the Messiah from um, everlasting. Um, and so, yes, he's born in time in Bethlehem, but he's not doesn't come into being in Bethlehem, but is from days of old, e- from eternity. And um, yeah, so a beautiful prophecy. And I also, and, um, mm-hmm. oh, I was going to say that that this uh, his lineage, and we sometimes will hear you know, going Matthew one that we can be reassured that the lineage of Christ showing, uh, ricking, making or drawing straight with crooked lines, there are some people in there, Rahab the harlot, uh, Tamar, uh, the different people there, Ruth was a Moabite, that uh, it just reminds us that God is going to bring us all together, and, and no matter where we've, what we've done, there's always hope for us in the Lord. Right, yeah, and the, con- so I like to use this word, condescension, and uh-huh. it, so it literally it means coming down to be with. And when we use it, it often has a negative idea. Someone of a higher station who comes down to us, but he lets us know that we're of a lower station. God isn't like that. He comes down to our level, takes on our condition, precisely so that we can approach him. Yeah, so we can so be ultimately can, lifted up in heaven, but yeah, that we can draw right. near to him, which is the whole thing going back to the temple, where you, right. no one but the high priest and only once a year, right? And now with, with, with Jesus... With the Eucharist, we can draw near in in a, in a profoundly intimate way that the high priest could only dream of back in the Old right, Testament day. Right. Yeah, so we, in every tabernacle, in every parish church, Catholic church, we've got the real the real thing, the real. So that brings us to another prophecy. Maybe we could look to Isaiah. Sure. So Isaiah seven, nine, and eleven okay. speaks of um, the Davidic son again. And so in chapter 7, 
and it's one of the setting is one of Ahab's. Uh, I'm sorry, one of um, David's descendants, King Ahaz, who is an unworthy king from the line of, and he's. Um, there's a plot threatening his throne and threatening to put someone on the throne of David who's not from the Davidic line. And God asks, Isaiah comes to him, asks him to ask for a sign. And he says, no, you know, I'm, I won't ask. And, but when God asks you to ask for something, you should ask for it. Yes. And, and so God gives this sign anyway through Isaiah. And on the other side of the break, we'll talk about that, that, okay. is, that it is Emmanuel, God with us. We're talking to Dr. Lawrence Feingold and about how Old Testament prophets foretold the Messiah as the incarnate word. We're going to continue that discussion, particularly with the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7 and other uh, passages, chapter 9, uh, 11. We'll be right back for more. Welcome back to Crescent in the Afternoon. This is Tom Nash, contributing apologist for Catholic Answers, catholic.com. Speaking with Dr. Lawrence Feingold about the Old Testament prophets foretold the Messiah as the incarnate word as we get ready to uh, enter into Advent this weekend. Um, Dr. Feingold, uh, you were, when we finished up the last segment, you had gotten to Isaiah 7 and the the great passage where... uh, King Ahaz is told to ask for a great sign. He says, no. Can you give us the context again for that and, and how that passage uh, foretells our Lord? Yeah, so the, the context is there's a plot to um, to kill him and to um, put someone on the throne of David who's not from the Davidic line. And so it's not just a political you know problem for King Ahaz, but it's a problem for God's promise from that he gave through Nathan to David, right? That um, you will always have kings. That his seed would, would rule. Yes. And so um, that's what, so God's own um, fidelity is at stake. Mm-hmm. And so even though Ahaz doesn't want to ask, God provides a sign. And it's a very strange sign because it um, it doesn't immediately deal with Ahaz's problems, but with something far, far in the future, which is the very fulfillment of Nathan's promise. Um, and so we've all heard this. And the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And actually, the most important part of this prophecy, I think, is the Emmanuel and not immediately the virgin, because Emmanuel means God with us. And that's a beautiful description of the incarnation. And so God coming to be with us in the fullness of time, born of a woman and born under the law, and yes, that woman is the Virgin Mary, right? And so there's a twofold miracle in Jesus' birth. And God, the, the principal miracle is that she gives birth to God who becomes man. And then secondarily, pointing to that, it's a virginal conception and not a merely, you know, um, human work um, as, a, as in any other human conception. Um, and so that's the great prophecy of of um, Isaiah 7, verse 14. With regard to 14, when people say, isn't it the, the word Alma in, in the original mm-hmm. Hebrew, and they'll say, well, that means young maiden, doesn't necessarily mean uh, virgin, yeah. but wouldn't the context, and especially given the culture, the two would be synonymous, yes? Right. So that, um, the word that he's used there in Hebrew would be is Alma, and um, it's a, a relatively rare word in the Old Testament. 
Um, and so it's not the ordinary word for virgin, but it's a word that we don't have an exact equivalent. It would be um, a young maiden who's unmarried, and in their context, that would mean a virgin, an unmarried young virgin. So, for example, when um, Abraham is looking for a wife um, for, um, so for Isaac, and, um, and he finds an Alma at the well, and that's um, Rebecca. Mm. Um, and so she's a young maiden who's a virgin. And so the, the word carries those connotations. And especially here, since it's put forth as a great sign, it yeah. makes sense to, to see it in that way. And when the Bible was translated into Greek, yes. and before the time of Jesus, so in the second century B.C., um, it was um, the, the Greek word used is parthenos, which means virgin. Yeah, and then we have it in what Matthew, where he points right. out that he, he translates that exactly as exactly. It, in the fulfillment. Yeah, and so the key here is we need to read the Bible as one book. And mm. so the later books, the New Testament, clarifies the meaning of the old. And, and so that's what we call the canonical way of reading Scripture, to, um, to read the old in the light of the new. And Matthew makes it clear that that's the meaning of the verse. Yes, like uh, St. Augustine says, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old, and the Old Testament mm-hmm. is unveiled in the New. Beautiful. Right. Uh, and right. and regarding that, so we've got this prophecy, and it happens then, but we also have some other ones in Isaiah, yes? Right, so Isaiah is so full of prophecies. Um, so the first part, it's this theme of the, the son, the child born to us. And so that carries on in chapter 9 with a great, um, um, a great prophecy. Um, picking up on the, the son there, um, for us a child is born, to us a son is given. Government will be on his shoulder. So that's an allusion to his kingship. Mm-hmm. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So again, like the Emmanuel prophecy, alluding to his divinity, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, but also his humanity, right? Because he's a child born to us. So it, carrying on the, the theme of Isaiah 7. The profundity then, of the incarnation. I always say, you know, they right. say the Trinity is the most, is the deepest and central of the of our dogmas, but I say the incarnation is a close second. <laughs> right. In terms right. of, I mean, what it all implies. And you can see how people got into, into uh, her- heretical problems in the early church trying to uh, oversimplify the reality that right. God is both man and God in, in Christ. Right, right. Uh, right. And then in chapter 11, it's carried further, and a new element. So it's just the famous prophecy of the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Mm. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse is the, the um, father of David. Yes. And so it's, it's referring, again, to the Davidic Messiah king. Um, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is where we get our seven gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so it's beautiful. It's saying that, that the Messiah will be precisely one in his humanity filled with the Spirit, right? So we saw in chapter 9, he's mighty God, but he's also man filled with the Spirit, filled so much that he spills over. So that's his grace of headship to give to all of the members of his mystical body. And I like also in Isaiah 11, uh, Dr. Feingold, how we have this kind of uh, resonance with what was um, said in 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 Genesis, where we talk about uh, in Genesis twelve and Genesis twenty two that your offspring will be a universal or Catholic blessing. 
universal means Catholic, that we see in Isaiah 11.10, in that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the people, the nations will rally to him. And again, that whole right. mm-hmm. making um, a, a universal blessing, a, a as, as of course Jesus says in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, to make disciples of all nations. Uh, it's just, I just love how it all holds together, as you say, reading Scripture as a unity. Right, that's the key. Yeah. And the liturgy helps us. So the beautiful readings during Advent season helps us to put the pieces together in the light of um, the New Testament as well. And also in, in Isaiah 9, where it talks about he will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever, you know, being the king of kings. Right. And, and And we see that fulfilled uh, in Christ. And then the angel Gabriel of the Annunciation telling him that he will... Uh, the throne of, of his father Jacob, of course, Jacob is a descendant, uh, is the forefather of, of Jesse and David. And so uh, that fulfillment and, and of his kingdom, there will be no end. And so the Blessed Mother, the, those words must have resonated with her when she heard right. that. Right, uh, indeed. So, yes, it's interesting how um, Gabriel speaks full of scriptural references mm. right? and references that Mary would have been steeped in. Um, yeah, yes. they didn't so get the, the they didn't get distracted by the internet and other such uh, right. superfluous or ephemeral and unimportant things. Right. Not that those right. things can't be used well. Represent, yeah. So an artist paint the Annunciation scene. Mary's almost always represented with the book, and mm. meditating on on scripture and precisely these beautiful prophecies. It goes back to I guess you know her dedication uh, in the temple and and mm-hmm. that she would have uh, been been learned in the word. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else be after uh, Isaiah 11 other um, passages that might stand out uh, in anticipation okay, so too much for our time yes um, what might one so, might happen uh, I mean mm-hmm. in particular that we talk about him as incarnate word okay um, well um, so Isaiah later Isaiah takes up another aspect right and so that's sure. the suffering servant so maybe that's uh, better for Lent in season. But Isaiah 53. Right. Yeah. Some of my favorites are from the book of Daniel. Okay. So the book of Daniel has three great prophecies mm-hmm. about the Messiah um, in which his role as the founder of the universal kingdom is more highlighted. And that's Daniel chapter 2, chapter 7, and chapter 9. Okay. Maybe we just look at Daniel chapter 2. Sure. It's um, King Nebuchadnezzar who's this the king who deported the Jews and just burnt the temple, and he was like, you know, an Adolf Hitler for, for Israel. Um, yeah. He um, has a dream of a statue with four different kinds of metals, and, they, and, and Daniel interprets the dream. So and Nebuchadnezzar puts out an order that the, the wise men of, of Babylon have to tell him first his dream, and then its meaning. And they can't do that, of course. But Daniel can, revealed by the Lord. Yes. And he, re, he says that the, the four metals in this gigantic statue, represent four kingdoms. Um, and then he sees a stone not cut by human hands mm-hmm. um, hit the statue in its feet of iron and destroy the statue. And that stone, not cut by the hands of man, grows into a mountain and fills the whole earth. And, um, and Daniel says, those four meadows are four universal kingdoms. Babylon, the Persians and Medes, the Greeks with Alexander the Great, 
and then the Romans are the feet of iron. Mm. And that a stone not cut by human hands, right? Yes. Virgin birth, yes. incarnation, yes. the word made flesh Beautiful. Um, at the time of the Roman Empire and becomes another kingdom, but a different kind of kingdom than, than Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome, a kingdom with no end. And we look out in the world today, 20 centuries later, we see that kingdom. It's yeah. the Catholic Church. Yes. And it has grown like a mountain to fill the whole earth um, on the foundation of the stone not cut by human hands. Yeah, and That's it gives, one of, I love that. Yeah, and, and Nebuchadnezzar gives him pause, like, uh, you may be ruling uh, the known world as you right? know it, but uh, guess what? There's a You're judgment coming, and, and that's, I, right. I, that's a real blessing to have for him, Daniel, because he, you know, he gets insight about <laughs> the temporal limitations that he has and how there's going to be a greater king that's going to be coming along. Right. So that's a, I mean, that's a merciful action for God to send uh, Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar, just showing God's mercy to you know people, the enemies of God, uh, and that no one's mm-hmm. beyond redemption. Thank God. Uh, right. And so, so then that that's going to come, and it, it happens in, in Daniel. We're, I know we're going to get that reading. I believe next week, one of the daily mass readings. Mm-hmm. So that'll be mm-hmm. uh, Daniel two, um, right? And then um, some other passages. Comes, Go right, ahead. Comes back up in Daniel seven. So in Daniel seven, instead of four medals. And this time it's a dream by Daniel himself, and he sees four beasts. And Ah. those four beasts correspond to the same kingdoms, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. And um, at the time of the the fourth beast, um, which he's in terror of, um, the scene shifts, and he sees the Ancient of Days, um, so God the Father, surrounded by myriads of angels on his throne of glory, and then one like a son of man. Mm. is brought before him. Yes. And to him is given dominion and a kingdom. Um, let me get the... So here's the exact one. To him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Oh, that... That's a very important passage because Jesus, when he speaks about himself in the gospel, he's tends to refer to himself, strangely, to our ears, as the Son of Man. Yes. What's he talking about? Yes. And so the Jews at that time would have made the connection with Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 and 14. Beautiful. And, and one uh, like a Son of Man. Yes, that's wonderful tying that together. And how can people stay in touch with your work, Dr. Feingold? <laughs> I got it. Um, so you can find a bunch of talks that are all uploaded for free at the website of the Association for Hebrew Catholics. Ah, yes, AHC, Association of Hebrew Catholics. Check it out. 